Welcome to the Registered Investment Advisor Podcast, where financial services marketing expert Seth Green interviews experts, executives, and top producers to share can't-miss tips on how they successfully manage their financial service firms, grow their businesses, create great relationships, and influence the industry. And now, here's your host, Seth Green. All right. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, listen, today... We have the absolute pleasure of, be, of interviewing Ed Mahaffey, the founder and uh, senior portfolio manager of Client First uh, Wealth. Um, and welcome to the RA podcast. And uh, Ed, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Carl. Glad to be here. Mahaffey, that name, that football, Brendan Mahaffey. Any yeah, I, I wish I could claim relations. Uh, it just uh, well, Somewhere along the line, I'm sure we are related, but... Uh... There's an old golfer, John Mahaffey, uh, you might remember from a few decades back. Not related to him yes, either. I do. My, my dad was a golfer. There, oh, yeah? There's, there's an autograph on my wall. You kind of see the bottom of it up there. That yeah. is Chandler Chandler Harper. Okay. He uh, he was eighth in the Masters in 1987, oh, wow. and he won the PGA in 51, and my dad was his caddy. Wow. At what a story. What a story. Yeah. Okay. Listen, I got This is all about that's you great, today. That's, that's a great I, story. I mean, I, 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 uh, I digress. Uh, this is all about you today. And so, well, see, I, I'm tempted to, I'm tempted to, to drift into a, a discussion about sports. So I'm, I've I've got to discipline myself to stay on track okay. here too. It's always okay with me. Okay. <laughs> but listen, Ed, can you tell my audience a bit about your educational background and sure qualifications and. How does qualifications contribute to your expertise in wealth management? Certainly. Um, well, I got a, a BSBA uh, business degree from the Citadel and um, loved Charleston, was there for four years. And uh, I, I got a major in business and I, I, I think I might have gotten a master's in discipline without even uh, registering for it. But it was Citadel, I could imagine. It's a great school and I loved it. And then, um, and it, you know, introduced me to business and how businesses operate. And then uh, I continued on to the University of Arkansas and got a master's in business administration and furthered my education there. It was great school, great professors, and uh, really loved my time up there as well. Uh, so that's sort of how I got my foundation of understanding how business works. And then, um, as we moved through time, um, I got the certified financial planner designation, uh, as well as the chartered financial consultant designation. And then I joined the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, which is a fee-only network of a few thousand of fee-only fiduciaries, no commission uh, across the country. And you have to submit a financial plan to peer review before it's uh, approved. And so, you know, that's sort of a, a, an executive summary of the education and the designations and, and the certified financial planner, of course, you're fully aware of the curriculum there, you know, you go into investments and financial planning and taxation and retirement planning. And, and it's, it's uh, very thorough and, um, it just really helped me make the transition from being an institutional sales person for 10 years covering banks and insurance companies to the individual uh, world. And um, 
So it's worked out very well. So, and, and I, I noticed that uh, you've written a book. Yes. Tell my audience uh, about what motivated you to write the book, where they can get it, and um, some insights, some clever little insights that are in the book. Sure, sure. Well, um, the book's on my website. It's an ebook. It's download for free. But I wrote the book because after meeting with clients and prospective clients for I don't know, 10 years, the same questions kept coming up. And I could just tell there were spots that clients really didn't fully understand. They understood some of and maybe had a false sense of security of, you know, the the uh, importance of, say, asset allocation and diversification and um and the bond markets, the inner, inner working of the bond market and how that uh, affected their portfolio performance. And so um, I covered the book is called How to Select a Financial Advisor, The Least You Should Know. I also covered the, uh, the difference between a fee-only advisor and a commission-driven uh, sales organization uh, also known as dually license, which was part fee-based and then part commission. And uh, I was licensed like that before I became fee-only. And I wanted to make a break from that and just become uh, completely fee-only. So there's no, uh, there are no commissions. There's no, uh, oh, well, I get paid four times a year. You know, there's a... <laughs> There's a fee. There's a fee based on assets, and I explain that in the book. And then I have Morningstar um, exhibits in there. Uh, explain the time value of money. Explain budgeting. Explain financial planning. Um, give examples of what saving even a half a percent in your uh, investment management fees can do for you over time, over thirty years, compounded at say, you know, six percent. Uh, it's, it's, uh, the figures are staggering and, you know, someone said, and I can't remember who, but the, the, the things we do every day, Carl, make the difference in our lives. And, and it's those little insidious fees that accrue every day that you don't see the, the, the internal expenses in the products that are being used and uh, things like that, that I just want to call attention to. And it articulates my vision um, of how I work with clients. It articulates my philosophy, um, you know, the, the importance of diversification, like I mentioned. And it is something that clients have appreciated because uh, I'm being held accountable to what I put in that book. And, um, and so it's sort of, it's a great thing if someone calls and they go, Hey, you know, I found you on the web. Uh, you know, I want to, I want to have a meeting or want to talk. Don't, don't even, don't even want to have a meeting yet. I'll send them the book or I'll refer them to the website and let them download it. And then they can get a really good feel, you know, what it's like to work with Ed and, uh, and the rest of the folks at client first. Please just staff at clients first. Just, I'm sorry. Oh, how big is your staff at uh, Client First? Well, I've got one associate, and then I co-own another firm like Client First um, that's fee only. And the uh, my, my uh, partner there um, is also a certified financial planner, also a NAPFA member. So is my associate. So we all collaborate quite a bit. Um, even though the, my partner is not physically in the office with me here, we we co-office. And, um, and we, uh, 
we help each other a great deal. And um, so it's a small outfit, but we have utilized technology um, and we've, uh, you know, we outsource a lot. I outsource compliance, uh, you know, so that's a big time saver. I spend a lot more time with clients, but I have to limit, Carl, the number of clients that I can take in right now. I've got 110 accounts. Um, and, you know, um, there's probably maybe 60 relationships. And a lot of people have two accounts and what have you. And so we can certainly onboard some more. But the great thing today is you can uh, – you can find talent, you know, as you grow, uh, that, that, uh, accommodates the growth and you don't lose quality control in the process. And so, uh, we, we hit growth spurts, but COVID, I think to a lot of people too, uh, sort of staggered the growth for a while. It's coming back now. People are sort of, uh, just in the last six months starting to express more interest. I'm getting a lot more attention and saying, Hey, I want to talk. I need to come in. I got to do something. It's almost like, it's almost like it's been suppressed for two and a half years. And now there's a, a release of the demand, you know, for financial planning and, and, you know, investment management. And uh, anyway, so people are, people start to question mortality. Yes. They want, they want to look at those things. Exactly. So, exactly. Um, you know, tell my, uh, my audience where they can reach you because I am sure you're going to get calls, emails, or however you want to be. Uh, sure. Well, my email is ed at clientfirstwm.com. And then the website is clientfirstwm.com. Uh, so very easy to uh, to reach me. And I usually ask that question toward the end, but just in these first couple of questions, it's very compelling for people to reach out to you and the fact that they better hurry up because you only take select clients. So. I want to get them out there now. Um, what Appreciate motivated you, you know, to to establish client first? Um, you know, in 2007, I believe it was. After yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Decades. That's correct. Um, well, I was at Merrill for five or six years, and then uh, I started an independent office of Raymond James, where I was a branch manager and. Uh, just a, a smaller operation, but um, independent. And I, I saw the need, Carl, to be fee only and have what I would describe as total open architecture, where when you are working for another firm, you're limited to their products. You're limited to, you know, their way of doing things and you're limited to, their cost structure, because if they've got overhead that on my own, I could uh, avoid and save money and pass that savings on to the client, i.e. the name client first, the fiduciary responsibility and being able to, you know, charge uh, lower fees than these bigger firms, substantially lower and, uh, and still do a great job. And I'm, I'm happy. And uh, I keep the overhead low. Well, I couldn't do that working for another company. And then, you know, in that world there, I, do, I wanted to leave the world of quotas and, and uh, you know, <laughs> products and services that we encourage you to, be, you know, why aren't you talking to your clients about that? And 
so the flexibility, uh, the ability to control cost, um, the, the desire to just want to be a full-time fiduciary, uh, you know, um, fee only, that's what really drove it. And it's been a good decision. I have never regretted it for a minute. Interesting. Stan O'Neill. I was uh, yeah. pretty good friends with Stan O'Neill at one point. Yeah. Yeah, I was there when when Stan, when Stan O'Neill was there. Yeah, uh, yeah, he was uh, probably. I think he succeeded Dave Kamansky, maybe. He did. And yeah, I think 2009 is when Stan left. Well, or kind of was forced away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I I guess he got like 60, 65 million on the way out. Yeah. Um, I, you, you can bend me over at the door and kick me in the butt with six I, I, I never see any of those guys leave without a bucket full of money, you know, yeah, exactly. no matter what the circumstances, but exactly. hey, love you, my pay grade. Yeah, right. Can you uh, provide a few more details to my audience uh, about your roles and responsibilities as the president and senior portfolio manager at uh, Client First? Certainly. Well, uh, first and foremost, uh, my primary responsibility is to listen well to my clients. And that means on an ongoing basis, stay in touch, what's going on in their lives, how it will it affect their financial plan? How will it affect their uh, asset allocation mix? You know, that's all, that's all my job. It's sort of like a pilot getting the, uh, you know, the weather report. Uh, you have to do that pretty often. And um so, you know, that's, that's the first thing. And then secondly, secondarily, um, the portfolio management, uh, which is part and parcel to communicate with the client because the foundation is to have the client articulate their risk tolerance. And that's so important, Carl, because I've had clients that so often have come in or prospects that have come in and I will show them the, their portfolio and, you know, I'll say, now look, here's how we're allocated. Let's say, for example, the stock market's been going up and up and up and up. And we have the proper asset allocation based on their risk tolerance, the client articulated. And the clients may be saying, well, you know, I wish I were up a little more because the stock market's up more. And I have to remind them, what if the stock market were down 10% and I stress test the portfolios and, and they would say, well, I wouldn't mind. I'm, I'm a long-term investor. I can handle down 10%, no big deal. And I go, okay, well, if we increase your allocation to equities, you're going to have more volatility. How would you feel if you were down 20%? Well, I wouldn't like it, but I'm a long-term <laughs> investor. Yeah. And then you let the market drop fast about maybe six or 7%. And they're going, what's going on? You know, so, so, so sort of the, go back to the pilot analogy. You got to keep the wings level and know what's going to provide turbulence. And so, but I find there's a lot of what I call recency bias, which we all have. So, you know, thus it shall ever be whatever's been going on in the immediate past is sort of projected, you know, into the future that because the market's been going up, it's going to keep going up. And we sort of lose sight sometimes of what happens if that assumption is wrong. And, you know, we have a mishap like we had in 2022. 
um, both in stocks and bonds. And in the bond market, that was the worst year for the bond market since the 1800s. I mean, right. yeah, off the charts, bad. And I stress test portfolios. So the fixed income component of clients' portfolios uh, was really in a good spot there. We didn't have the big losses, you know, and they were very small, very manageable with great bonds and good steady cash flow. And um, nor did we have the, um, and I say we, because all my portfolios are pretty much managed, you know, the same way. They're just custom customized to your, your needs, your goals, whether you're in the accumulation phase of life, you know, in your twenties, thirties, forties, or you're in the distribution phase and, you know, you've got wealth transfer, you know, aspirations. Um, but the, you know, it's just a matter of what, you know, what your allocation is, but my duties back to your question, uh, beyond the portfolio management is to just make sure clients understand what they own and why they own it. So they're a great partner and they understand, excuse me, they call me, and it's wonderful because they're very conversant with, um, hey, Ed, you know, I know we've got this uh, 6% allocation, a small cap, and, you know, it's some of them really enjoy, you know, getting granular about it. And I love that, you know, and they're, they're the ones that, that want to read everything that I can send them. And others like, hey, Ed, how's it going? You know, I'll talk to you again in three months. You know, I really, they, they they don't want to talk about their investments that much. They'd rather be on the golf course or they'd rather be, you know, whatever they're doing. And then the rest of my duties are, you know, just what one has to do to run a company. You know, um, I mentioned the compliance. I'm the chief compliance officer, but I outsource that to a great uh, company I've been using for 20 years. And, you know, they keep me abreast of all the changes, the regulatory requirements and what have you. And I have to sign off on everything and I have to fill out the forms, but, they shepherd me through that process and um, and then just marketing, just making sure people are aware that you exist and, and what you do. Um, well, you know, you uh, I took care of like the trends and um, and the question, but given your experience and, and your um, wealth of knowledge, do you see some trends that are uh, going to be beneficial to some poor holders some some of your clients oh yeah definitely um i i see some that are take, take all that crystal ball yeah i i have no crystal ball i first of all make that disclaimer there's no crystal ball <laughs> i i think you know you never bet against america we have a bright future and if you look over my right shoulder you'll see a morning star chart and you'll see a 45 degree angle from left to right that goes back to 1926 and it's basically a dollar invested up through present day. And there have been some pretty scary jiggles in there and periods where we were fallow for, you know, 10 years, 12 years. Um, but ultimately we prevailed. That's the bright news. Uh, that's, that's the good news. And stocks do a decent job of keeping up with inflation to, you know, to a point. That said, I think. I wouldn't, I would not, uh, frame this as good news, but I think when you identify challenges and step into them and meet them early on, that is good news, even though it's not necessarily a money making proposition. And I'm thinking specifically about the bond market and how to sidestep 
a punch, if you will, from fixed income. And Carl, uh, I mentioned to you 2022 was the worst year for bonds in, oh, well, since the 1800s. And uh, there, there were, you know, great bonds, treasury bonds, for example, that just got pummeled. The values fell, you know, 30%. And you're thinking that's supposed to be the ballast in my portfolio. That's supposed to provide, you know, the balance and uh, and it was where the problem was coming from because the Federal Reserve was just steadily hiking and they, they seem to have leveled off now. But my biggest concern is that inflation is here to stay higher than it has been for years. I don't think we're going to go back and I'm not an economist, but I, I don't want to get too granular as to what my you know uh, rationale is here. But. I think we're in a new range and I think the 40 year bond bull market or bull market and bonds is over. And I really don't think we're going back to zero or 1% or 2% on a two year note or three. I think the path of least resistant resistance is higher interest rates. And that's really not a good thing necessarily at the, at the margin. It's not a good thing for stocks because there's more competition for stocks when the yields are higher on bonds. But I think the markets just acclimate as time goes on. When there's something new or a shock, there's more volatility. The, the range of reaction is much wider. And then we sort, of, we sort of get immunized to that. And that's what the stock market has tended to do here with these, with these rates, because here we are at almost all-time highs. The stock market has been very resilient. But I think going forward, if we have another ratchet up in rates, we just printed like a 510 or 505 on the 10-year note. If we see that exceeded, we're, we've rallied back down to about a 417 yesterday. So price up, yield down. If we see that reverse and we go back and we set new highs in yield and we go to say five and a half on a 10-year treasury or six, I really think that's going to be... Um, you know, problematic. And my, uh, my mission with clients is to make sure, especially new clients that come in the door, make sure that we don't own bonds that are too long in duration, too long in maturity, where uh, clients uh, are unpleasantly surprised if those rates do go back up. And, you know, part of my, my rationale for that position is that, you know, we owe more now, uh, debt to GDP than we have since World War II. Um, and we, up until oh, a year and a half ago, we weren't paying anything on our debt. You know, the new debt that was issued was, we were issuing two-year treasury bonds at 15 basis points. And just recently we issued some above, you know, five. So, so what's going to happen now on a $33 trillion debt, which we have, and about 52% of that debt is has yet to roll over. There's still two-year, three-year treasuries out there paying almost zero. They're going to roll over into this higher rate environment. The treasury will have to continue to issue bonds, and we're going to have a trillion uh, dollars, maybe a trillion two, trillion three, uh, just interest on the debt, additional expense. And that's competing with the national defense budget. So, and all the, you know, the other expenses that we have, um, 
I think that, you know, at the margin, the path of re- least resistance is rates higher. And, and I'll say this and, and move on. But to my way of thinking, the Federal Reserve is sort of in a box here because if they if they lower rates, inflation is going to get fanned and probably get more aggressive. If they continue to tighten, they may push us into a recession. And in in the recession, what are they going to do to correct the recession? Lower the rates. You lower the rates, and you know, here comes the inflation. So, so they've wow. sort of painted painted themselves in, into a corner. Maybe they're I, I'm not giving them enough credit that they can you know stick the landing here. But my gosh, uh, what a landing that would be! I, I don't see how they do that. <laughs> right, right. That that's impressive. Um, are there any specific publications that that you refer to 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 gain this insight that you could tell my audience about? Well, I'm a voracious reader. Um, I'm up at four every morning and that's my reading time. I'm like four to five thirty. You know, I'm reading periodicals, um, uh, scanning the news wires, reading white papers. Um, you know, I've got a great relationship with JP Morgan, Vanguard. So their research papers, the white papers that they put out are, are excellent on a multitude of topics from taxation to bonds to equities to you name it, uh, alternative investments and, uh, so that's that's sort of the you know uh, the, the raw material that I use for the investment management portion, and then uh, I'm con- every day I'm buying and selling bonds for individual bonds for clients. I've been doing that for forty years, so I'm very plugged in to the markets, and of course also equities, but I'm more passive on the equity side. I'm I'm more like a Jack Bogle that says, you know, don't look for the needle in the haystack, just buy the haystack. Uh, that doesn't mean you don't have a sleeve where you own little NVIDIA and, you know, Meta, formerly Facebook, Google, some of the, you know, or, or, or whatever you, you know, your bent is uh, to try to harness a little extra growth. But it needs to be uh, looked through the prism of the overall asset allocation, the overall volatility, and um, you know you have to be pretty selective about how much money you put in, you know those type of, of securities. But that's interesting. Um, you mentioned publications and things that that you read, but you should be one. You know? <laughs> ah, uh, I know it's hard, hard, Carl. You you were recognized in Arkansas money and politics as uh, one of 2020's best financial advisors in the last couple of years. You've been uh, in Forbes. Uh, uh, well, I've been interviewed by the Wall Street Journal. Wall Street Journal. There we are. Yeah, four times in the last three years for uh, okay. fixed income for uh, okay. bonds, and then uh, you know. I uh, I've had a few articles published in Barron's. That's maybe what you're thinking about. And most recently, one in, in August of uh, this year, August of 23, uh, an article on municipal bonds uh, okay. published in Barron's. So, um, yeah, I love to read. And then uh, I think people suffer through my writings, you know, but uh, but I I, uh, I enjoy it and, it. and it keeps me very plugged into what markets are doing. And, you know, it's sort of like going to class every day. If you miss class for three or four days, you're lost for a day or two until you, you know, you better make sure you've got your bearings before you try to do anything and make sure that you're fully aware of what's going on. Because if you don't, from a portfolio manager standpoint, if you don't know where value is, 
then you're not going to make good purchases or, or good sales. And, you know, you have to know what something is worth, you know, within, within reason. I mean, you're not going to be able, no one pinpoints it exactly. You know, it's worth, uh, a bond is worth what someone will pay at a given time, but you don't have to trade that bond that day. So we're just, just to kind of put that in perspective, just recently, uh, you know, yesterday in the past few days, I've been do, taking tax loss swaps or making tax loss swaps for clients where they may have a little bit of a loss in a municipal bond or a treasury bond. And they, uh, and I love the individual bonds because as opposed to the mutual funds, because they have actual maturities and individual bonds don't charge fees like mutual funds do. So I can control the process more and it, it aids in the financial planning process as well. <coughs> Excuse me, but, I've been doing the tax law swaps where you might sell a municipal you have a, a small loss in and then buy a different municipal and you use that loss against a gain that you have for the year that otherwise would be fully taxed as a capital gain. So this is the time of year for that. And uh, and like I say, you know, you, you, you don't have to trade a bond. You put a list of bonds out for the bid and maybe half of them have great bids and you trade those and you wait to trade the rest of them another time. And I don't, I do a lot more observing than I do trading. I'm watching, you know, for 80% of the time and then replacing bonds that mature or get called, or maybe there's a swap where we feel like it's advantageous to, we've got a bond coming due in six months. Uh, We can go out now three or four years and get a little extra yield. Let's go ahead and sell the six month bond. And again, I'm fee only. So there's no commission involved there where you know, there's no, uh, um, there's, there's, there's no money falling through the cracks like there would be in a markup situation. Okay. That's it. It sounds like you really pay attention to your client holdings, um, you know, as opposed to, Right before you're, you know, going to have the six month review with the client. Now, the last couple of days, you'll look at it, but it seems that that you have a daily uh, attentiveness to your client needs and uh, what. You're so you're you're so right, Carl, and that's the only way I can do it. Uh, I I cannot fail to look at something for three months and then come in the night before a meeting and just sort of brief myself with it because I, I'm I can tell you. Not perfectly, but almost perfectly, which clients own which bonds and, oh. and you know, what maturities they are and that sort of thing. And it's not because I'm a savant. It's just because if I am not immersed in it, I'm not very good at it. And I want to be the best. I don't want to be average or mediocre. And uh, I think one must, you know, fully immerse themselves into whatever daily activity you're doing. And when you're talking about markets that are influenced by everything from, you know, geopolitics to legislation, to interest rates, to, you know, just any number of things, there's so many variables and to kind of sane through all that and, and understand how, you know, that day, that week, that month might be the beginning of a trend or the end of a trend and that sort of thing. And, and how that might filter down into clients' portfolios, <clears throat> you need to know what they own. And and like I said, a lot of the portfolios that I manage, uh, they're not ubiquitous, but you know, they have very similar securities. It's just a question of what percentage of 
the various securities each one owns that dovetails with their, uh, you know, risk tolerance and, and goals and that sort of thing. You know, I want to uh, uh, explain the significance of your um, your membership in professional organizations like NAPFA and um, and sure. uh, FBA. Yeah. Um, well, NAPFA, NAP, NAPFA uh, is uh, a, an organization of, I'm not sure how many thousand, but several thousand fee-only advisors, registered investment advisors across the country, and investment advisor representatives uh, that work for a registered investment advisor. They're fee-only, obviously. And I was attracted to that organization because um, you you have to submit your financial plan to peer review. Uh, you know, in order to be uh, accepted. And there are some other qualifications, um, but also because there's a great sense of community because there's, there are not many as a percentage fee only advisors in the country. Most advisors are duly licensed where they're still, you know, paid by commissions. Um, they're not uh, necessarily acting in a fiduciary capacity a hundred percent of the time. And that's not, a bad thing. It just needs to be fully disclosed. And, and, you know, I look for organizations to align myself with that, that try to articulate the differences in the, in the, the economic models that a fee only advisor has fully transparent. You got, I get paid, I told you earlier, four times a year, you know, uh, based on the evaluation of a client's account. Uh, and so, Napa was was great, and there's a great sense of community there because you you uh, share articles, you share experience. Uh, Napa Napa magazine is great. You know they they bring a lot of things to the forefront that that I might not have been aware of had I not been reading that magazine. I might have been aware of it a month later. You know that's a great uh, a, a great organization, um, and it's also a way to. Um, Raise your profile with prospective clients because um, you can have a, a profile on NAPFA and, uh, you know, within your zip code, people go and they they go to the fee-only website. They see an ad for NAPFA and there may be, you know, three or four advisors in your zip code and they'll see, you know, uh, Carl McKinney, registered investment advisor, Ed Mahaffey, registered investment advisor, Jane Doe, you know, and you can call them all, you can go see them all, you can, you know, pick one and start the conversation. So it sort of narrows down the search. And one thing's for sure, and this has been very helpful to me, when clients find me nine out of 10 times, they've started to learn the word fiduciary. You know, it's in the lexicon <laughs> now. And and uh, the first thing out of the mouth is you are a fiduciary, right? You're fee only, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I'll come talk to you. And they're um, it's but but it's helpful because it is uh, uh, is a way to sort of you don't want to waste people's time and I don't want to waste my time. So if they're if they don't appreciate that and they're not looking for that, you know, fee only experience, then I need to tell them up front. I'm not the person for you. You know, if you want fee only, please come back. But right now, if you don't, then I can't I can't help you. But anyway. Listen, outside of your professional life, uh, it's mentioned you enjoy things like reading. Well, you mentioned you're a voracious reader, exercising, and 
Krav Maga, or is, am I pronouncing Krav, that right, or am I just... Krav Maga. Krav Maga. Okay, tell my audience, well, how about tell your host a little about Krav Maga. Okay, Krav Maga, well, Krav Maga was uh, invented to train the, uh, the IDF, uh, the Israeli Defense Forces. And it's uh, an amalgamation of various martial arts. Um, it's, I, I may not be translating perfectly, but Krav Maga uh, translates into um, contact combat, like hand-to-hand. And, and it's, you know, I've never been in hand-to-hand combat, Carl. I hope I never am. But I just, about five years ago, and I've been a runner all my life. I've been active in, in sports and what have you. And I thought this, this looks really challenging from, you have to, yeah, I'm 64 now. So you, you, you have to be flexible to an extent, you know, and, and, and then you're, you're, you know, to, to just know how to handle, handle yourself in situations. It's a dangerous world out there. If you're trying to protect your family or whatever, it's, it's better to know something. And it, it, I found it great. It was a great group of people and uh, we trained hard together. I still do. I'm still training. COVID interrupted it for a couple of years, but um, you know, I'm, I'm working on my fourth of six belts right now. And um, I just, I love it. Um, and so that's, it's a challenge and it's a, uh, it's a mental challenge to me because when you're, you know, uh, facing an opponent, you, you don't know what they're going to do. You don't know what they've got in mind for you. And so even the, even if we're going half speed and, and just sort of, you know, going through the motions, it's, it's just a chess game and it's interesting and it's physically demanding. So I need all of the above. It's a great release that and gardening. I didn't put gardening, but I grow a mean tomato. Corn. I really do. Yeah. yeah. We have somewhat of a garden here. My wife and I do herbs. And oh yeah. The, the Krav Maga. Yeah. The, we we love to cook, so um, you know we have our own basil and all our own oh, stuff out there. Yeah, an herb garden and everything. Okay, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, fantastic. The, the Krav Maga. I get it's better to uh, have it and not need it than to right. need it and not have it. Just in case right. you're in that situation. My my son is uh, was a marine. Oh wow! And they have a a, a particular kind of hand to hand, and yeah. um, you know he he. The way he explains it is it it's not pretty like what you see on television. It's just crush it, kill it, and walk away. You know, <laughs> you just get it done and go home to your family. Yeah, okay. and I, I, the training just it's basically don't freeze. You know, something your training will come back to you, and it's just it's great to know just how to do a few things well. So, for example, um, you know your your loved one is walking across a parking lot and they're accosted by someone and whatever um if they're grabbed in a certain way it's just good to know how to get away from the attacker that's the whole point of krav maga it's to it's self defense and then get away so you're striking the eyes or you know some some sensitive spot just to get that second of reaction to where you you, you can get away the the women in my family are not very big you know the five three five two five, so uh i think i think about them and um 
and there were there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of women in the class, uh, the first class that I took, the Krav Maga class, that were there for that reason because they just want to have a little more confidence about what to do. And if you can just remember one thing to do under stress, you know, under stress, you can't have step one, step two. You know, you really just need one thing that just like you're scratching your face, it just comes. Uh, so so it's it's been good for for a lot of folks uh for a long time uh it's been around since the 1940s well i'm i'm 64 with you okay uh, and you know we're we're not gonna we're not gonna wrestle around with some guy for 15 20 minutes anymore no. so you know that second amendment thing is pretty good oh yeah it requires it requires very little energy and you get to that's that's to... no that's exactly you don't need problem with god if you're uh if you're, you're you're carrying a weapon that's uh yeah, it's a different situation. Oh, yeah. As yeah. long as you're doing it legally and protecting your That's family. right. Yeah, that's so, yeah, definitely. You know, sorry we digress. I am it's really fine. enjoying this, this interview here. So am I. Um, and I, I mean, I had a had a list of questions. You've seen them. You've answered the questions in the other questions. It just, it's just okay. And, okay. Um, and uh, so one thing, though, can can you give me some examples of the types of clients that, that you typically work with? Yeah, that's yeah, they're great. And also, that's... can you can you show us your book again, too? Oh, certainly. Here's the book. Yeah. How to select a financial advisor. And at the bottom of every page, it says pick Ed Mahaffey, right? As you go through. Exactly. The that's what's that's what's in here. When you when you read that, that's exactly right. Yeah. That's and you right. notice it's, it says the least you should know. So. All the answers are not in this book or any other book I could ever write, but that's, uh, I, I did pour my heart and soul in there for about a year and a half. And, um, uh, that's as good as it's going to get from this author. It's pretty good, I think for, for its purpose, but back to the type of clients, um, because I am small, uh, I have to be fairly selective about clients. So I have a, uh, according to my SEC filing, $500,000 account minimum, and, you know, uh, some accounts are much larger than that. Some are right in that area. And each one of them is very valued and, you know, um, plays an integral role uh, in client first because you need a balance, sort of like an ecosystem. You need some people that are in the acute wealth accumulation phase and don't have a lot of money, but they need more financial planning. Uh, or maybe some people don't have any money at all. They're just starting and they just want to pay for a financial plan and they just want to check in with you once a year. I am on track, you know, and that's, those are the younger folks that are just starting out the young professionals. And then we, you know, evolve over the spectrum of, uh, you know, clients to where you're in the retirement phase and you want to live a certain retirement. And then you also want to know what's going to happen, uh, you know, to your money when you pass away. So there are any, uh, legacy uh, transfer issues that you have or aspirations that you have, we can address. And I've got just an incredible uh, relationship with uh, CPAs, um, trust and estate attorneys, uh, through which I've received a lot of referrals. A lot of my book has come from those other professionals. So we've kind of evolved into being almost like a like a family office without really being a family office. You know, I've got fee only uh, insurance professionals. I've got the CPAs. I've got the, uh, you know, trust and estate attorneys. And I've got several of them to where, you know, I've, I'll refer a client or I'll pull the 
pull the CPA in for a meeting or, or get them on the phone, you know, when the client's in the office and they'll find one they like. They'll find a personality that they work well with. And it's normally the first one I recommend because I pretty well size up the type of personality the client is and match with some of the CPA personalities that I know uh, or the trust and estate attorney, you know, uh, they need wills, they need trusts, um, that sort of thing. And, um, and you run, you can really help clients that way because I run into this constantly. Uh, and this is not addressing your question directly about the, the clientele, although that I pretty well have exhausted that answer, but uh, asset titling so many, uh, prospects come in here or a client that's transferred, that's been with me for a few years and they transfer more money. Hey, Ed, I've got an account at another firm. I want you to take it now. I want, I want you to manage everything. And it's not titled properly or, or that's really not the right description, but uh, it's not titled in a way that would allow those assets to escape probate very simple thing to fix you know you can you can use a trust you can change from from you know carl mckinney to mr and mrs carl mckinney so you know he's a joint tenant with rider survivorship and, and, and escapes this, uh, a probate uh, just little simple things like that that can be an unpleasant surprise and you know sometimes you have the conversation with clients and because it kind of pertains to their death, they really don't want to talk about it much, you know, and you, you bring it up again and they go, yeah, we talked about that. I, you know, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And, and somehow, you know, they don't. And so you have to really pay attention to that because that could be a, that's an, it's an easy thing to fix. And uh, so, um, yeah. To detail on behalf of the client, huh? your, your attention to detail on behalf of the client, um, you know, not just get your fee and run away. You're, you're yeah. really buckling down on what benefits your client. We try to. We we, we we try to. I mean, that's um, – I'm not doing my job if I don't do that, Carl. And, uh, you know, so that's the way I've always approached it. Um, I'm, I was looking, looking at a note here that I had. Um, yeah, I think I covered that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I hope I did. You tell me. You asked the question. Yeah. Did I answer your question properly or, or extensively yes. enough Absolutely. about the type you know, of clients? There, there's no right or wrong answer. It's it's Ed's answer, and and your answers have been great. Um, <laughs> I, I love Thank it. You. you know, I I do this. I co-host with Seth and uh, Kevin on the Sharkpreneur, and co-host with Seth right. on the RAA podcast. And, yes. And, um, I, this is great. Sometimes it, it's it's a struggle to get the information that I know my audience wants to hear. Yeah. And you've done a great job. And just a, kind of a, a last question. Given your success. Yes. Tell me, tell me what challenges you still have to overcome today. Well, the, the, the biggest challenge is always just communicating with the client and making sure you're hearing what they're saying about their risk tolerance and what have you. I don't want to, you know, sound like a broken record, but that's the biggest challenge. And then from a portfolio management perspective, my gosh, I mean, there's nothing that isn't challenging with the bond market, the way it is in the stock market, the way you just, it's like, uh, you, you know, I, when my kids were small, we went to, uh, Orlando and we, I think it was universal. And there's this, uh, there's this attraction called the tower of terror. 
and it you know it'll go up and then drop like three stories and you think you're just going to hit the ground and so yeah that's sort of it's sort of been a tower of terror a couple of years and so that's always challenging um and then just you know balancing my faith and my family are first with me and so the, the carving out the the time to do those jobs right not that faith is a job but to have the time to devote every day and to be able to be there emotionally for your family as opposed to when when they call in the middle of the day you know uh and they need something you got to be there you can't say i'll call you back in an hour i'm in the middle of a and so you just need to have that in mind when you go through the day and and there have been days, honestly, when, you know, I've learned the hard way that I wasn't, I was too involved in doing whatever I was doing. And uh, they don't call often, but when they do, I, uh, I I like to, you know, to be there. And we're a real close knit group. I've got two children. My daughter just turned 30. My son just turned 28. And so they're grown. They're out of the nest. And uh, remarkably, my wife has not kicked me out of the nest uh, since they've since they've left, she she says she's going to keep me around for a while. So that's a that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah. That's that's managing that work life balance. That's, that's right. That. That's right. That's right. I, I absolutely understand. My uh, my children think my middle name is ATM, and they're all grown. <laughs> <laughs> my middle name's ATM. <laughs> I think they can push buttons and yeah. come out. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, it's but I wouldn't have it any other way, right? I mean. Absolutely. Absolutely. We complain about it, but we love it. That's right. Um, listen, I want you to share with my audience once again how they reach you. Um, sure. Um, well, my email is ed at clientfirstwm.com or ed at clientfirstwealthmanagement.com. Either one you get here. And then the URL for the website is clientfirstwm.com or com, And I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm on the seventh floor of the Prospect Building. Um, so it's not hard to find me, Carl. Right. And guys, you can always reach out to us, and I will certainly send you over. Um, Thank and, you. Uh, this is Carl McKinney, calls DBRIA podcast with Seth Green. Today, we've had the pleasure of having Ed Mahaffey from Client First Wealth Management. Ed, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Carl. It's my pleasure. It's been a pleasure for me, and thank you so much. It's just really been a pleasure, and and, I enjoyed every minute of it. And congratulations. You don't don't really pat yourself on the back much, but I know you recently were inducted in the Hall of Fame, and you might want to share that with your audience as well. So not trying to, not trying to overreach here, but you, you need to, you need to, Thank you. Thank you for that, Ed. This is, I, I get yelled at because sometimes I fall into discussions about sports. And yes. Seth goes, oh, you start talking about yourself too much because it's about you guys. It's about our guests. And uh, this is your time to shine. And But I do thank you for the compliments. God bless. Thank you. 49 faces looked to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon best-selling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast. 
at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com.